0: Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 12 and stand for the reading of God's Word. John 12, verse 27 and 28. this is the word of the Lord. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would Help our minds and hearts to be focused on these, the words of your Son, the words of agony as he approached his death for our sins. So Father, help us to be sober-minded, help us to fix all of our thoughts upon you and your mercy. Illumine this word to us by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Man, be seated. The Son of God suffered to save you from your sins. He suffered. Time and time again in the Gospel of John, uh, the God, John is, has shown us the full humanity of the incarnate God. We've seen it. <clears throat> He's taught it to us. As a man, Jesus was troubled in his soul. Troubled in his soul. As he spoke these words, you know, that we're contemplating this morning, he was only a few days away from fulfilling the, uh, his father's will that he should die for for sinners 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 who had inherited their corruption from the first man adam and jesus came to straighten up what had been twisted through all the ages by sin and it meant that he would die right that he would die Not merely as an example of a good death, but as a substitute. You should have died. He died instead. He was the sacrificial lamb, a lamb without blemish. His death would fully atone for sinners, unlike those Old Testament sacrifices uh, which would which needed to be repeated year after year. Once for all, Jesus would die for you. It was not easy work. It was not easy work. Can we say that about the Son of God? It was not easy work. Not for Jesus who took on the infirmities of the flesh. Now my soul has become troubled. But why was it not easy? Is it merely because Jesus was facing death? No, it was not merely that he was going to hang from a Roman cross, that death was coming, that that this, this thing that's unknown was before him. He was not sinfully fearful of anything. He was not troubled for that reason. Then why was the Son of God troubled in his soul? He was troubled in his soul because, because he carried the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. That's why he was troubled. He's troubled because of what you did to him, what you supplied to him. He was not afraid of pain. He was not afraid of death. He was not afraid of what would happen to himself after he died. He was not cowering like you and I would, you know, if we were facing our mortality. He was weighed down with the sin of the world. He was troubled in soul because he was about to become the curse. To become sin, to become... Every sin that every child of God had ever and would ever commit. And as he approaches that, you know, deplorable apotheosis, he feels it. He feels it. He's troubled by it. He's groaning under the weight of it. He, when he said those words, my soul has become become troubled, was beginning to take on himself the burden of your sins. He was suffering as he had placed upon him your actual sins, all of your lies. All of your lusts, all of your adulteries all of your covetousness, all of your idolatry, all the times that you've betrayed him, all of your grumbling and complaining, all of your unkindness, all of your miserable self-pity. Your sin being laid upon Christ caused him to groan within. He was troubled in soul. And it is your only hope for salvation that he did so. The great work of the Son of God was to take upon Himself personally all your own personal sins. It's a mountain. It's a mountain of sins that you could not possibly atone for. He was crushed so that you might receive glory upon glory. Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried Has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The demonstration of his troubled and soul, troubled soul, continues in our passage because we see him even contemplating the consequences of giving up the mission giving up the mission that the Father gave to Him. And how can this not be sin? How can this question, how can Jesus in Gethsemane saying, you know, take this cup from me, not be sin? How can He not be quitting? How can this not be the base kind of fear that you and I experience when we have difficult things to do? How can it not be sin for Jesus to contemplate throwing in the towel? Well, Scripture says that there was no sin in Jesus. There was no sin, not in this. And so our conclusion must be that having conflict in the soul, being troubled in the soul, is not necessarily sinful. Well, certainly it can be a lack of faith. When we get depressed, when we get troubled and and check out, that can be because we have not put our trust in God, and that would be sin. But there is an inward conflict that is not necessarily sinful, and that's what we learn from this passage. The sinless one had a troubled soul. You too often have a troubled soul, and it's not always sinful. The burden of sin troubles us. It pushes us down in the same sense that it troubled Jesus, or it should He was troubled because sin is, is terrible. Sin is a terrible thing. Sin is a burden that has led to every bit of conflict and bloodshed and idolatry in this world. And sin is so terrible that the very Son of God couldn't take it on without feeling its excruciating weight. That's how terrible it is. The sinless Son of God. The God-man couldn't take it on without being troubled in soul. That means sin is terrible. Calvin says, Let us know that death was not a sport and amusement to Christ, but that he endured the severest torments for us. This is not a walk in the park for the Son of God. In fact, he endured forsakenness. Jesus endured forsakenness by his Father. Because of the terribleness of our sins, right? Your sin, my sin. Sin is terrible. Sin is vile. Sin is everything terrible in this world. As sinful people, we have to work to convince ourselves of this, don't we? Being sinful, we don't think sin is very sinful. The world, our, our flesh, the devil work continually to trick us right into thinking lightly of our sin, constantly trying to make us think lightly of our sin as the serpent did with Eve. And it is, not, it is only as we contemplate the death of the Son of God and the agony that came upon his soul as he became sin that we can properly understand just how terrible sin is. I mean, we can think of the social effects of sin, right? Who had an abusive father? It's wrecked your life, right? It's been your burden every day. There are social effects of sin. We, and, and, and the social effects show us that sin is terrible. Sin causes people pain and creates all kinds of destruction. You can think of your own, the own personal effects of your own sin And it will seem somewhat terrible to you, that sin that you've involved yourself in. Your own sin has burned your conscience, it's twisted up your inside, it's confused you, it's made you run after things that God hates. But it is not until you think of the groaning of the Son of God as He carried your sin that you will properly see just how terrible your sin is. He agonized. Because sin is so much weight. and So the sole trouble of Jesus Christ, the sole trouble of the God-man, the sole trouble of the eternal Son of God is due to the cataclysmic treason of every single bit of sin. Every sin is cosmic treason. Have you contemplated this? I mean, have you contemplated this? Do you really think you are sinful and that the sinfulness of sin is terrible? Do you really think that? You have have to see Jesus Christ agonizing for sin before you will be properly sensible, properly disgusted with your own sin, properly just undone. You ought to see it. Right? You ought to see your sin because it hurts people and it, it hurts you, but it's much worse than that. It's much worse than that. Your sin has brought trouble to the very soul of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Your sin has provoked the very wrath of God who created all the galaxies that we've been seeing. Right, your sin necessitated the Son of God to be humiliated, to be born of a woman. To live under the law that He gave to us. Right? To, to be spit upon and mocked, to experience trouble in His soul, to hang from a tree, then to be forsaken by His Father, and then to die. Which is incomprehensible. You and I provided the sin that necessitated Jesus' humiliation. Part of which we see in his soul trouble. But I didn't answer my question. How can we be troubled in soul and not be sin? We can be troubled in soul like Jesus when we view sin properly as I've just laid out, when we begin to hate it as God hates it, when we, are, when we are discouraged by the ravages of sin around us and in us and long for its end, right, its absence, when we are made sorrowful by sin. Do you have that longing? If we do not, we will still love our sin more than we love righteousness or more than we love Christ-likeness. If we do not, we will envy the wicked who can follow sin with their dead consciences. Remember that there is a conspiracy of the devil to drive you to make light of your sin. And if you make light of your sin, oh, you know, it's only an occasional smoking of weed. You know, I, I mean, I only hit my wife every few years. It's only in my thoughts. I only, I mean, it's just fantasy life. I don't actually carry out the things I fantasize about. Well, if you do that, then you are going to make light of the agony of Christ. You're going to make light of the cross. You're going to make light of his agony, which will cause you to make light of God's holiness, which will cause you to think too highly of yourself, which will cause you to think you don't need salvation, which will cause you eventually to abandon God. That's what will happen. Make light of your sin. You will abandon God. Dear brothers and sisters, this is why the doctrine of depravity is so important. We are not reformed because we want to honor some guys who had long beards and wrote long theology books in history. Right? We're reformed because the Bible teaches us that God is holy and man is utterly not And until we understand that scenario, we will make too much of man and too little of God. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. There's the gospel. The world is dying because they think too highly of themselves, and they do so because they have not seen Christ agonizing over sin, troubled in soul. If they do, or when they do, by God's grace, they will understand for the first time the the devastation, the ugliness of sin. Sin causes death. Sin causes death, dear brothers and sisters. Sin causes temporal and eternal death. And we'll play footsie with it. Sin is the reason for all the misery in this life, and we'll take it lightly. Sin required the wrath of the Father to be poured out on the Son, and we like to flirt with it. You know, keep a, keep a little back from repentance. Repentance. Sin troubled the soul of the incarnate God. And so, the next time you face temptation, remember that. Remember that. Remember that sin caused soul trouble to the incarnate God. As Jesus' soul is troubled, then, by sin, there's a thought that enters into his mind And the thought is that he could ask the Father to save him from what's coming. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Father, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but thine be done. Right? As soon as that thought is there, it is swelped right, by the mission for which he came. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Right? The impending death, the bearing of the sin of the world, the crushing weight of sin, again, is demonstrated in this contemplation. The suffering that was coming was something awful to Jesus, just as it would be to any normal man. He would be less than human if he didn't shrink back from from suffering. Yet, as soon as this thought goes into his mind, it was met with faith. It was met with faith, right? Calvin makes the point that these feelings of Jesus were free from sin, and even still they had to be restrained. How much more do our feelings, which are sinful, need to be restrained? He says. What is important about this is that Jesus, though troubled in spirit, is undoubtedly fulfilling his mission to die in the place of sinners. This is Jesus saying, Not yet, not as I will, but as you will. He's submitting to his Father's will, but for this purpose I came to this hour. In other words, he's taking the the soul trouble and immediately putting it to rest in the will of his Father. He's there, headed toward his death to atone for the sins of the world because the Father required it of him. And this is Christ's purpose in taking on the flesh, dwelling among us. So what can we draw from that? When, When you are troubled in soul, yourself, when you are tormented, do you remind yourself of the purpose of God? Do you remind yourself of the purpose of God when you're tormented? Right? Isn't it sad that when we are afflicted, we often don't go to God? You just sit there and suffer. Jesus didn't. Jesus suffered and bam, he went right to his father and said, your will. Isn't it sad that when we are afflicted, we often don't go to God? It's like we don't want any alleviation of our fears and troubles. And one of the reasons we don't want alleviation of our fears and troubles is we get street cred with, from our fears and troubles. Oh, poor afflicted so-and-so. We get street cred with it. We boast in our afflictions. We really do. We want people to know Just how afflicted we are, therefore, how much faith we're exercising and resisting our afflictions. Trust me, I've done this. And we don't go to God. We think that what it means to live is to go through life deprived of consolation. But that's not right, that is wrong right if the lord had not been my help my soul would have dwelt in the abode of silence if i should say my foot is slipped your loving kindness o lord will hold me up when my anxious thoughts multiply within me your consolation's delight my soul not the not the you know the street cred i can get for all my sufferings God's consolations delight your soul when those anxious thoughts multiply. When anxious thoughts multiply within us, we are to delight our souls in God's consolations, which are God's promises, which is God's revealed will to us in the Word. All those promises, all those good things, all the rescue that He's given to you. This is, in fact, what Jesus was doing on that day, which we have been reading about. We see it in the shift in his thoughts, from save me from this hour to know this is my purpose laid out for me by the Father. He's delighting in his Father's will, whatever that means for him. Whatever that means for him, which is to become the curse, which is to bear his wrath, unmitigated. How hard is this for us? brothers and sisters there is you know there's the other shock of those moments when god's will for us means suffering the utter shock of those moments think of the medical diagnoses that take our breath away leukemia dementia ms cancer think of the plans that f- fail into which we sank our life savings think of the bombs falling And buildings falling to the ground. Right? Think of the the call we receive from the police informing us of the car wreck. Think of the miscarriages. Think of the deaths of friends, of family, of spouses. Think of the exhaustion and sleeplessness. Think of the utter loneliness of your life. Think of anything that fills you with fear. And then, listen to me, know this. The holocaust that Jesus faced on the cross was more difficult. More real, more painful, right? More terrifying than any of those things that I just mentioned. The abyss he stared into. The wrath of Almighty God against sin was bottomless. And so we could say no one ever feared death so much as Jesus did. Even more than that, no one ever feared anything like this. No one ever feared anything as the one who would become sin feared the approaching wrath of God. He faced death with the sting, right? He faced death without a covering. Death as as like everything that sin required. And he did all of that with the one consolation that had always been there, his Father's will. One consolation. And yet for this purpose I came to this hour. The abyss was there and he had faith that abyss and he has his sight set on the joy that, that lies ahead of him that holocaust and get this he has his mind set on someone else's glory not even his own oh that's so important what does he have his, what he have his sight set on what is he there to do he's not even there to like get accolades for himself he's there to glorify his father Father, he says, glorify your name. Because of all of that, because Jesus has faced with faith and joy the most severe problem that has ever faced mankind, sin, you may now face all your fears and stop those thoughts and say, Father, glorify your name. Though you slay me, I will hope in him. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's not even that Jesus is an example of this kind of faith. We we don't just imitate Christ. That's not not what we do. Yes, we do imitate him, but that's not the be-all, end-all, right? His faith, his death has affected change, and we know life in the light of that radical change. His atoning work, going through the, the blasting of his father's wrath is the very reason that you can suffer anything in this life and not lose hope. It's that reason. That which you couldn't take care of was taken care of. Now suffer well. The big issue has been removed from the plate. Your sins are forgiven in Christ. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been redeemed. God has had pity on you through Christ. Your sins have been removed from you. Though your sins were as scarlet, you've been washed whiter than snow. And so whatever suffering is brought into your lives by the hand of our gracious Father, we know that it's for your your good, truly. Our further sanctification that we might share in Christ's holiness. That suffering is purposeful. That suffering is purposeful and temporary. Because my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. So don't be afraid. Trust God. Calvin says, all the true regulation of our desires is to seek the glory of God in such a manner that all other things shall give way to it. The work of Christ for your sinful soul has made it possible for you now to lead the kind of life that prefers the glory of God before your own comfort, your own glory. That's why he has redeemed you, right? Do you get that? He wants glory. That's not selfish of him. He's perfect. He's God. He gets all the glory, right? And so now that you've been redeemed... Right, you, you have been set free and your purpose now in life is what? What is the chief end of man? Glorify God. Can you stop glorifying yourself? Can we stop with that? Your purpose in this life is to glorify God. And if that's true, you're going to do way crazier things than start up a TikTok page. You might go somewhere and die sharing the gospel. You might have eight children. You know? You might become a pastor, or an elder, or a deacon. Or something much harder than that. A dentist. Right? You 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 may go through severe trials and be the weird guy who says, Though he slay me, I will yet hope in him, who can sing praises, though, you know, it is well with my soul, though his family's dead. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I mean, that's it, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knew the sinfulness of sin. He had faith in the Son of God for the forgiveness of his sins, and having his precious Jesus, he was able to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. Did Paul suffer? I mean, all of us would have tapped out early in Paul's life. We would have said, we're cursed by God, and this work is not for us. After, you know, shipwreck number one. after scourging, number one, after robbery, number one. Having his precious Jesus, he was able to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings because one day he will rise from the dead and rest in a redeemed world where not only is there no cause for mourning, crying, or pain, but those things will have entirely passed away. Gone. Gone. Now I don't know. I've got this I'm not done. I've got this long section from a book that I love. It's by a pastor named Theodore Kyler. He wrote a, a book called God's Light on Dark Clouds. And if, you're, if you have dark clouds in your life right now, it's a good book to read. You should find it and read it. There are worse things that you could read for sure on this that will leave you without rebuke. But this will not, and it will also encourage you. And I thought about reading a section of this, but I'm hesitant now. Um, I'll just read the last paragraph, but look it up. He says, So to all my fellow sufferers who are threading their way through the tunnels of trial, I would say, tighten your loins with the promises and keep the strong staff of faith well in hand. Trust God in the dark. We are safer with him in the dark than without him in the sunshine. He will not suffer thy foot to stumble. His rod and his staff never break. Why he brought us here, we know not now, but we shall know hereafter. At the end of the gloomy passage beams the heavenly light. Then comes the exceeding an eternal weight of glory. And as I said before, look at Jesus here as he approaches his own gloomy passage. Yes, he did it for the joy set before him, yet as we see in the passage, there is, there is even a more primary and more selfless reason than that. It is that his father would be glorified. He wants to glorify God. He really wants to glorify His Father. That's why He's doing all this. Yes, He wants to save your soul, but ultimately He wants to glorify His Father and swept up in that glory of the Father is your soul being saved by Jesus' work. But His primary purpose is to glorify His Father. Did you know that you should have that as your constant motivation too? What is man's chief end? To glorify God in joy and joy him forever. Is that, your, is that your motivation in this life? To glorify God? So often we talk about vocation and earning and this and that and what we've did and where we've been and, you know, how we got educated and blah, blah, blah and blah, blah, blah. And, and we have very little... That all, stuff all is very motivating. But, but Jesus says the glory of the Father. That should be your motivation Glorify God. And why? Because he's worthy of all your praise, all your worship, all your devotion, every bit of your effort. He is glorious and he is constantly faithful to you. And the members of his household probably should live in such a way that his glory is something they delight in. It is one of the major pains of anybody's life when your own children will not honor you. When children stop honoring their father and their mother, it is a knife in the heart of mothers and fathers. And I believe that is something that the Father in heaven experiences often from us and our faithlessness. Thank God there's a mediator between us and him. So do you face gloomy passages ahead? Yes, we all do. May we have the faith to rejoice in God's providence, knowing that we have been brought through this for a purpose, and that purpose is that God may have the glory. So as it was with the Son, God is greatly honored when, under trial or chastening, we have good thoughts of Him. Good thoughts. Not my will, your will. This hurts, but I know it's good. Amen?